Welcome to Courage and Spice, the podcast for humans with self-doubt. I'm Sass Petherick and this is episode number 56, Upgrade Your Self-Talk. Hello lovely people. Oh my lord, I have huge news. The windows arrived from Germany. As you might be aware that we're about 80% of the way through a whole house renovation, which has been exhausting and fantastic and we had this huge milestone this week because the glass doors that go out into the garden uh, are being installed as I record this which means that the builders can start cladding the outside of the house and finishing the new roof and making it all watertight so we can complete the kitchen which means we're highly likely to be home for Christmas and I tell you this renovation is such a lesson in surrender so much is beyond our control and on top of that there are a squillion choices of paint and wallpaper and designs and styles and it's really been this marathon of trusting ourselves and I say ourselves because Ash and I have labored over every choice together I follow quite a few Instagram designery people on social media and it seems like they never involve their partners in their choices, um, either by agreement or design, but it's probably why everything is pink and gold. But I have not had this luxury. Um, we had a huge argument when we put in our wood stove just after we moved in. And after that, we decided we needed to find a way to, I guess, respectfully disagree because taste is just so completely subjective. So we agreed that we both have a right of veto. Either one of us can say no to any choice and then we both have to find something else that we both like. And this has just made the whole process so much easier on both of us. And the chances of the sort of underlying steaming resentment going unspoken for years <laughs> is almost nil. So yay us! <laughs> And I guess because of all of this, and, and because I'm always thinking about things to talk to you about on the podcast, I've been thinking a lot about how we speak to other people versus how we speak to ourselves. Because your voice is the one you hear most often. Is it kind? Now, loads of mental and emotional suffering comes from the way we talk to ourselves in our own minds what psychologists will often call cognitive distortions. And this can have a huge impact on developing unconditional self-acceptance. So if you're following along in the order that these episodes come out, unconditional self-acceptance will be a familiar topic to you. And in this episode, we're going to talk about negative self-talk the most common types of these cognitive distortions and some strategies you can use to identify and start to change your own unhelpful negative self-talk. I want to show you how you can upgrade it. So what is negative self-talk? Well, one of the ways I explain what I do, if anyone asks me what I do as a self-doubt coach, is that I help people identify and unlearn the unhealthy beliefs and behaviours that are holding them back from living their lives. Because over time, these beliefs and behaviours become habitual, just like we have physical habits like brushing our teeth before bed or twirling our hair when we're nervous. We all have psychological habits too. 
And one of our most common psychological habits is the way we talk to ourselves. This is sometimes called the inner critic, but it's much more expansive than that. We all tend to have these unconscious scripts stored in our minds, usually based on memories that influence our automatic responses when we feel at risk. So, for example, you might have a boss who sends vaguely worded emails every time they want to talk. So, when you get a chance, stop by my office, we need to talk about something. And your habitual script in response to this email is, oh crap, what did I do? Right, so negative self-talk is a, is a kind of narrative psychological habit. Our lives are like a story unfolding constantly in front of us. And we keep narrating the events of the story to ourselves as they unfold. So just like a narrator in a book explains what's happening in the plot, we talk to ourselves and our minds about what's happening in our lives, what it means, what it makes us think about, what we should do. And this has huge ramifications for how we feel, how we respond, and the overall outcomes that we create in our lives. Now, it's quite fascinating because the way we talk to ourselves about the events in our lives is subject to the same principles of learning and habit formation as physical behaviours. So it's never too late to learn to talk to ourselves in specific ways, in more helpful and healthy ways, just like we can learn to tie our shoes or say please and thank you. So the Stoics have been preaching for around 2,000 years that events don't cause suffering because reality is neutral. It's how we interpret these events that cause suffering. And research over the past 50 years or so has kind of sided with the Stoics. It's confirmed and solidified this into what's known as cognitive mediation theory which is a fancy term, but it comes down to this. Events plus our thoughts about those events equal our emotions. So our emotions tend to be mediated by some form of cognition, what we think, what we believe. And often the cognition that's mediating our emotions is this narrative self-talk that we have playing in the background. So thoughts mediate emotions. And the reason this is important is that if our thoughts determine how we feel, how we habitually think will determine what we habitually feel. So I think this is arguably one of the most important ideas in our kind of modern mental health and and the way that we engage with psychological teachings. This has a huge practical implication. If you want to change how you feel, You have to learn how to change your thinking. It's not what you're thinking, but how. And specifically, we need to learn how to identify and examine our belief systems, how we communicate those beliefs to ourselves through the self-talk. And this is how we can feel better on a regular basis, on a pretty robust and consistent basis. Now, of course, there's loads more to human suffering and mental health than our habits of talking to ourselves. But this is an enormous and often overlooked piece of the pie, mostly because this is something we all have direct control over and immediate direct control over. 
Unlike other elements of our mental wellness, like the levels of our stress, our genetic code, our brain chemistry. So in this episode, and one of the key aspects of my work is helping you to tell yourself a different story about who you are, a more healthy, a less distorted story about who you are. But of course, before we can start telling new stories, we have to kind of understand and make sense of the old ones. And so I wanted to talk to you about the specific types of cognitive distortions. There are 10 really common forms of unhelpful self-talk that lead us to just feeling pretty crappy on a regular basis. So in psychology, we call them cognitive distortions because they're usually just unrealistic, inaccurate or limited explanations of what's going on in our lives. And they usually lead to unnecessarily negative emotions. And because we always respond based on how we feel, cognitive distortions create negative outcomes in our lives. So there's a couple of points to keep in mind as we go through these. There's a lot of overlap between the cognitive distortions. So they they aren't really clear-cut categories. They're meant to be sort of helpful labels for a more general pattern of how you might be interpreting reality with your self-talk. And secondly, negative self-talk is not an intellectual problem. So most of us, when we hear these examples of cognitive distortions, will totally understand that we do these from time to time. The problem is the habit of saying them to to ourselves. But understanding that we have unhelpfully or inaccurately talked to ourselves isn't enough. It's the habit of regularly catching ourselves in the moment that really starts to shift things. So I'm going to provide you with an explanation and some examples with each description just to try and build this, bring this to life. So there are 10 cognitive distortions and we're going to start with the first one, mind reading. This is assuming that we understand what other people are thinking without any real evidence. So we might imagine what's going on in someone else's mind, but we do it in a way that's biased and inaccurate. So at its core, mind reading is a kind of failure of imagination. We often only imagine the negative without exploring the hundreds of different possibilities, some of which are bound to be neutral or positive. So some examples of mind reading. During a presentation you're giving at work, you notice that colleagues are looking at their phones and you make the mind reading assumption that they're so bored, they don't like me, I knew I shouldn't have volunteered for this, this is going terribly. Or your spouse doesn't immediately say hello when you get home from work, so you assume they must be upset with me for something. Right, so that's how mind reading kind of works. We assume the worst based on very little evidence. Overgeneralization is the habit of telling ourselves that a negative event is bound to continue happening in the future. So when we overgeneralize, we make predictions about the future based on isolated pieces of evidence from the past or the present. Some examples. After being passed over for a new position, you think to yourself, I'll never get offered a promotion. I should just start looking for a new job. After being told that your flight's delayed, you think in your mind, that's typical. My flights are always delayed. This always happens to me. 
Number three is magnification. Now that's when we take our own errors or flaws and we exaggerate them. And often magnification takes the form of catastrophizing, when we take small negative events and turn them into disasters. So an example, getting someone's name wrong when you've just met them and just thinking, I can never recover from this. We can never have a relationship because I've ruined it forever. Now, on the opposite side is minimization. Now, this is the mirror image of magnification, and it often involves being dismissive of our own strengths and positive qualities. So when we minimize, we keep ourselves in the cycle of feeling inferior because we don't allow ourselves to benefit from and be bolstered by our really positive qualities and accomplishments. So for example, if you receive a test score and you say to yourself, yeah, I got a B plus, but I missed the easiest question on the whole exam. Or after a supportive comment from your spouse about helping your child, you say to yourself, well, they probably would have figured it out on their own. Number five, emotional reasoning. Now, this is the habit of making decisions based on how we feel rather than what we value. When we use our emotions and feelings as evidence for what we should or shouldn't do, we can end up spending all of our time running away from discomfort rather than towards the things we really value. And procrastination is a really common result of emotional reasoning. Some examples of this, I'm not going to the gym this evening because I just don't feel like it. If only I felt more motivated, I could get ahead of my work and be able to enjoy the weekend. The next is exaggerated expectations. And this shows up most commonly when we're evaluating our own qualities and characteristics. So exaggerating our expectations sets us up for chronic disappointment. We constantly exaggerate our expectations and we never meet them. We never live up to them. And so we can always end up feeling badly about ourselves. And this can show up in the minutiae of life. Something like after not being able to maneuver your car into a reverse parallel park, you then judge yourself for not meeting that expectation. I'm such an idiot. Or if you think back on a recent date that seemed to go badly, all you can think about is, oh, I'm so awkward, no one is ever going to love me. Number seven is personalization. And this involves assuming excessive amounts of responsibility, especially for things that are mostly or entirely outside of your control. So this exaggerated sense of responsibility leads to excessive attempts at control which in turn leads to a lot of stress and anxiety. So some examples of personalization. After your child makes a crucial mistake at the end of a football game, misses a goal, and you think to yourself, if only I'd practiced with her yesterday when she asked me to, she would totally have got that goal. Or perhaps you are wanting to spend the day taking photos and feeling really creative, and then you find it's raining. And your negative self-talk is, well, this is just a sign that I should not pursue my creative dreams. Number eight is fortune telling. And this is the habit of predicting what will happen based on little or no real evidence. Instead, when our mind throws a negative outcome or worst case scenario at us, we just go with it. We tell ourselves that's bound to happen. So a bit like overgeneralization, fortune telling 
is a failure of imaginative flexibility and it often leads to a ton of anxiety. So we decide things that are going to happen, that are bound to happen. After a date that ends quickly, you say to yourself, well, there's no way she's going to call me again. Or after walking out of a meeting, you just predict, well, they hated it. There's no way they're going to accept our proposal. Number nine is labelling. And this is the habit of describing ourselves or other people in one extreme way, usually negatively. And we see a lot of this on social media because people and their sense of self, including our own, are highly complex, ever-changing, nuanced. Labelling is always an inaccurate oversimplification. Often it's behind things like cancel culture and you know, this, this sort of inaccurate interpretation of what boundaries are. We see a lot of this on Twitter and other more adversarial types of social media where people are just labelled based on one comment that they make. And number 10 is shoulds. These should statements are a kind of self-talk that we often use to try and motivate ourselves by telling ourselves what we should do and should not do. But the problem is that most of our decisions in life are not obvious choices. They involve ambiguity and uncertainty and usually some risk. So when we're in the habit of shoulding on ourselves, we set up this false expectation that we should have more certainty than we actually do. And this can lead to a lot of frustration and anxiety and resentment. So it might be something like after you miss an important call from someone, you tell yourself, I should have known that was going to come. I should have been available. Or after you share something in a meeting that just falls a bit flat, you tell yourself, I should never have said that. I should never volunteer my opinions. So there we have the top 10 negative cognitive distortions, these negative self-talk habits that tend to make us miserable. Perhaps they sound quite familiar to you. Now, changing our habitual ways of thinking and talking to ourselves can be a long-term undertaking, especially if your uh, habits, your mental habits are pretty firmly entrenched. But there are some really doable first steps we can all take to begin to upgrade our self-talk. So here are five ways that you can begin to upgrade your self-talk. First is look for specific cognitive distortions in other people. So of course the idea here is to change ourselves, not other people. But it can often be easier to identify examples of negative self-talk in other people first. And once you get better at noticing it in others, we can more readily start to see them in our own thinking, in our own self-talk. So really start to pay attention to what other people say. I highly recommend not pointing them out to people, but just pay attention for your own edification. Secondly, change your inner tone of voice. So we all know that the way someone says something to us often affects how we feel, at least as much as what they say. Just think about sarcasm. And the same thing applies to the way we talk about ourselves. In addition to paying attention to what you say to yourself, be attentive to the way you talk to yourself. 
Are you harsh, judgmental, sarcastic with yourself? What would it be like if you were more gentle, compassionate, straightforward in the way you talk to yourself? It's a great experiment to try. And related to this, number three is to notice the voice of your negative self-talk. So often we will internalize the voice of a critical parent, teacher, or other influential person in our lives. Now this can happen during childhood, but also as adults, we're all influenced by the people that we want to belong to. So it may be that there is a specific person speaking to you during particular events. And just notice that, oh, that is my mother's voice, or that is my sister-in-law's voice. And just notice, are they the best person to advise you in this particular event? So you may have a kind of employment problem where you just want to quietly fire them from the job of advising you. Number four is to validate your feelings instead of analyzing them. So most of us feel the discomfort or pain of an emotion and our gut reaction is to start talking to ourselves about those feelings and what they mean. And this is really called thinking your feelings. It's not feeling them. So instead, just try to observe and notice the feelings. Notice where they sit in your body and what the sensations are that you're experiencing. They'll pass very quickly. Within 90 seconds, every emotion will move through you. So when we instantly rush in to try and fix or solve our feelings with a bunch of self-talk, we train our brain to think of these feelings as problems. And they're not. They're just signs that you're a human. And the final thing is to be intentional, not habitual with your self-criticism. Right? There's nothing wrong with self-criticism when it's done compassionately. Pointing out your own mistakes, holding yourself to a high standard. These are fantastic qualities to have. I absolutely share these with you. But you'll be much more likely to respond or take action from that self-criticism in a productive and accurate way if it's intentional, deliberate and even-handed rather than a sort of instant gut reaction. So instead of passing judgment on yourself in the moment, get intentional about a time to reflect on a perceived mistake or flaw intentionally. Maybe you could journal about it or talk it over with someone you trust. Just weigh up, what could I have done better there? What do I want to learn from that? What was I not happy with? These are much kinder ways of allowing self-criticism to be part of your story, just not dominating it. So one of the best ways to change how we feel on a regular basis is to change our psychological habits about the way we interpret the world, specifically how we talk to ourselves. And by learning to identify the ways we consistently misinterpret events in our lives, these 10 cognitive distortions, we can begin to think more realistically and helpfully about even the most difficult of circumstances. And this tends to have loads more beneficial effects on our mood and our outcomes in the long run. 
So changing what we believe and the way we communicate to ourselves isn't going to change reality, but it might just change how you feel about it because reality is neutral. So in the next episode, we're going to be building on this idea of cognitive distortions and how to upgrade your self-talk. And I want to share with you a really great example of a technique called cognitive restructuring. I want to give you a formula for how you can interrupt the psychological habit of negative self-talk. Um, this is a total game changer. I've re been refining and developing this process for years now. And this is something that I usually only work with one-to-one -one clients around. But I recently uh, spoke at the Creatable Festival in Exeter, run by the Creative Business Network. And so I turned this technique into a kind of workshop format. And it went down a storm. I spoke to over 100 people in this beautiful, ornate hall. And it sparked just dozens of really fascinating conversations as we start to reveal our belief systems to ourselves when we really look at them. It's a game changer. So I'm super excited to share this with you next time. And just to say, if you're enjoying this series of Courage and Spice, I'd be so grateful if you would rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Just open Courage and Spice in the fancy new podcast app, scroll down to ratings and reviews, and you can just tap to offer a, a rating, five stars please, or you can write a review. This will help other people to find the podcast and you will also have my eternal gratitude. Thanks so much everyone. I'll see you next time.